Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Fish Across the Pond. This is part 3 of our spring training series and I'm delighted to welcome Chris Towers from CBS. We're going to talk some Marlins baseball and of course some fantasy baseball. So sit back and enjoy. Hey now and I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Towers from CBS. Uh, Chris, how are you? Good man, how about you? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. All's good here. Um, thanks for finding the time. We've we've uh, been planning this this podcast uh, for about six months, so we finally make it happen. So appreciate that. It's crazy season for you right now. So it um, is. It's very busy right now, but I'm on a, a little vacation, so I got a little extra time. So there we I'm, go. I'm glad to be here. And uh, you know, the time difference, you in the UK. Me in, in New York City, it, it, it makes things a little a little more difficult to coordinate, you know? I don't know. Time zones are very confusing to me. That I'll I'll take that the fall on that one. I just <laughs> don't understand the concept of time zones. They really mess with my head. Agreed. You said you said eleven Eastern and I put in my diary five PM uh, UK time. And then when I look back, I was like, Oh, oh. shit, actually it's four PM. So you're yeah. right. I've I've messed up as well, but Hey ho! Anyway, Chris, listen, it's great to have you along, and um, you know, people are wondering why is why is Chris Towers on on the podcast? It's a Marlins podcast, but the reason being, you're a Marlins fan. If people didn't know, so you know, it's it's great to great to have you on. I guess really most of your time these days is is spent more on the fantasy side of things. So the burning question I have uh, on that side in particular is what <laughs> what is a what does a working day look like for a, a fantasy baseball analyst and writer it's a it's a glorious life it really is <laughs> i knew it i knew it's, it it's everything you think and more uh <laughs> no usually it's um you know i usually work out of the office so you know depending on if we're recording a podcast early in the morning you know during the season we're usually recording the podcast for video so we have to get in there at like eight in the morning local time get set up for video we record the podcast and then from there you know, it just kind of depends on what the day looks like. Sometimes we've got, sometimes you got to write a waiver wire column first thing in the morning after the podcast. Sometimes you've got kind of free time and you just start researching. You look through yesterday's box scores. You look through, uh, you know, baseball savant and until something interesting pops up and then you start working on writing. And, and really for me, it's, um, you know, I'm in kind of a quasi hybrid role. So I'm an analyst and an editor, um, so sometimes I'm working with writers, sometimes I'm working on my own thing, but generally speaking, if I'm focused primarily on writing, I'm trying to pump out, you know, two to three uh, pieces per day with some research and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. And then it depends on the season, you know, football season is a whole different animal because it's this 16 week sprint, whereas baseball is kind of mm. a leisurely half year, uh, yeah. <laughs> where you know you don't you football you you know american football you you almost need to overreact because it's such a short season whereas baseball you know any baseball fan knows one week you know some bench player could look like the best player in baseball but mo most of the time it's not real yeah exactly so no overreaction uh, articles on the baseball side right we try not to. Sometimes, you know, I'm sure there have been. Uh, oh, I'm trying to remember. There was a there was a guy for the Twins. He was he came over from Korea like 
three or four years ago and he had like a really good first week and I was all in. I wrote this like whole thing and then I think he was like DFA'd midway through the following year or something. So, you know, you you try not to overreact, but it's human nature. It is. It is, particularly with, with new things, right? You know, it's a uh, new player arrives, there's mm-hmm. some intrigue, they light it up, you're like, okay, this must be the norm. Let's, let's go with it. Um, yes. So I can understand that you fall in them traps. I... Uh, not to kind of go too heavy on fantasy early doors in in in, uh, in our chat, but um, I tend to have some overreactions as well on the waiver wire, and you know, as leads me to all all sorts of issues later later in the season. But anyway, that's you know, we'll we'll come into fantasy later because um, I do have another podcast I've recently started, so we will spend a little bit of time on that. But for now, let's let's kind of cover the Marlins and I guess get your take on how you feel about. The Marlins right now as a as an organization, you know, under the new ownership group, we're what start of year three. So, yeah, as a fan, how are you feeling? Um, I'm not. You know, I've been a Marlins fan my whole life. I was uh, I was five years old, I think, when they had their first season. I remember going to a game that year. I followed them through all the the ups and, you know, to be frank, mostly the downs and. You know, I I struggle with optimism when it comes to Marlins, but clearly things are better now than they were, you know, under the old ownership group. And and part of that is that they have fully committed to a rebuild. Whereas with the old ownership group, there was never even during those fire sales, there was always a kind of one foot in, one foot out. We don't want to punt on the present too much because we we rely on the revenue streams. And, and so you could never quite get the full commitment that I think we're seeing right now. And, you know, there are various moves that I don't necessarily agree with or there are organizational philosophies that, that don't fit with how I view baseball. But on the whole, you have to think things are looking up. Yeah. Well, compared to last year, <laughs> particularly and perhaps the year before, like I, I feel like it's trending upward significantly. Um, we're not quite seeing it yet at the major league level, but certainly, like from a from a farm system perspective, like the Marlins have have absolutely skyrocketed into you know top five, at least top ten systems across across baseball. So, and what I've realized, you know. I, you, you don't get this sense by not following baseball forever and not growing up in the U.S., but one thing I've realized is that, that there's a lot of buzz, more buzz than I would have expected about prospects yes. when there's no guarantees about anything to do with them. Like They can be talked about, it could be on these top 100 lists, and so many of them fizzle out, but it's something about prospects in U.S. sports that really excites people. So I get the sense now that that's kind of maybe what's capturing the Marlins fans minds right now right yeah and, and the thing you have to keep in mind is probably I you know people have done the research and I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing off the top of my head I would guess probably 50 percent of top 50 prospects don't really pan out mm-hmm. it might actually be even higher than that so that's the thing you'll have to tell yourself is that like it's really easy to get excited about the young guys and the prospects and and talk yourself into well, the future's so bright. Look at this guy and this guy and this guy. And, you know, it, it's, uh, 
it doesn't always work out. And so that's the tough thing. But one thing that you, you do have to appreciate about the way the Marlins are approaching this rebuild is, you know, they're aware of the limitations that they have within this market uh, as far as the amount of money that they're going to be able to spend. So what they've seemingly done is put a priority on tools and upside when looking at prospects. And so, you know, that could lead to some situations where like Monte Harrison kind of looks like he's not going to hit because there was just, there were monster tools, but the strikeout rate just has been, you know, a little too extreme for him to turn into something. But when those kind of guys hit, there's huge upside there. And that's what you need when you're in the Marlins situation. Yep. And of, of the guys we've got, who, and it, you haven't got a crystal ball right now, not that I'm aware of anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead of that, you know, that cluster of guys that most of them are, have been trade acquisitions, but you know, who, who are you most excited about? I suppose, sorry, there's been a few draft picks as well, obviously. And I think they seemingly have done well, but Who's exciting you most in the, I guess, in the in the in the minor league crew right now? It's got to be Sixto Sanchez, who is pretty much unanimously the Marlins' top prospect. Um, you know, I've actually seen some prospect writers say that they like Edward Cabrera, right-handed p- pitching prospect, a little more than Sanchez. But Sanchez, you know, he the production has been really good. Um, injuries have sort of held him back. He had a an elbow scare a couple of years ago. He had a, a back and neck thing, but you know all the scouting reports indicate that he's got a really lively fastball. Uh, you know, people listening to a Marlins fan podcast don't necessarily need me to give the scouting report, but he's someone who might actually be even better than the numbers look because you look and you say, well, he's only got 7.9 K per nine. He was only at you know, 8.1 last per season, that that doesn't sound all that great. But then you have to keep in mind, he's got such good control and he's limited hits so well that actually his strikeout rate looks better than his K per nine. So he he's someone that we'll see in Miami this season, I would guess, probably by the summer. And I'm really excited to watch him pitch because he's also just He's sort of a diminutive guy. He's got a big fastball. Those kind of guys are really fun to watch as well. So I'm really excited for the Sixto Sanchez era to begin. Me too. I I saw a picture a couple of days ago. It was Sixto standing next to uh, Eddie Cabrera. And I, for some reason in my head, I assumed that Sixto would be like 6'4", just massive. But he isn't. And I guess what you're saying, you know, diminutive guy. It's actually Eddie Cabrera that was like the six four, six five. I may he may even be tall on that. I don't know, but um, you know, it was interesting. You just kind of get this assumption in your head. But I'm like you. I'm I'm really excited to see Sixto and um, you know, just see what he's got. Hopefully, we do. I'm pretty sure we will see him this year towards the summer, and perhaps Eddie Cabrera also. I guess when you look at the rotation from the Marlins right now, you've got you know Sandy, Caleb, Pablo punched in as the you know the one two three health you know if, if health's okay yeah and you've got two spots of, of Yamamoto and you know maybe Arena or um, Eliezer Hernandez or you know some uh, some other mix but really it feels like they're kind of placeholder options right now for for Sixto Eddie Cabrera and maybe others to, to follow on so 
excited to see how the rotation. How do you see the rotation yourself playing out, like opening day? I mean, do you agree those top three are in if they're if they're healthy, and then the next two are up for grabs still? Yeah, I think that's probably the case. You know, I, <clears throat> I was actually hoping. You know, Arena looked decent in the bullpen last year. I was kind of hoping towards the end of the season that that would we would be where he would uh would end up just because he's i don't know he he's got he feels like he should be so much better (laughs) i like him i like him i've always liked him he throws so hard you know he he'll occasionally break off this really good breaking ball and then it's just it's never quite there as consistently as you would want it to be and so I, i i wonder if that's something that we could see more consistently in the bullpen and you know, if it's not in the bullpen, I'm not sure <clears throat> how long he's going to be with the team. Um, just because, you know, he's had enough opportunities, it hasn't quite worked out. But he could be just like a tweak or two away from being pretty good. And I've always been really interested in Jordan Yamamoto. You know, when he was acquired from the Brewers in that Yelich trade, it was always Brinson. Diaz and Harrison though you know those were the three guys everybody talked about in the trade and then you looked at Yamamoto and like all he did was produce he had a 251 ERA more than a strikeout printing before uh, the season before the trade he's continued to produce similarly he showed flashes last year with the Marlins I'm kind of interested in him I think he could end up being you know I don't know how much upside there is but I think he could be like a number four starter Mm. If I mean, uh, do you know what we were just talking about this with the with the UK guys uh, for the for the podcast, and we like to revisit the Yelich trade in particular and look at it and analyze where it's at because in, on, on the face of it, initially you're like, wow, that's this is a bad trade for the Marlins, let's say, but oh, that was the snap reaction, mainly by non-Marlins, well, actually probably by most fans, but anyway, the reality is. Um, Isan, Monte, and, and Yamamoto, uh, you know, you need to let them develop. And then at that point, then you can make a judgment as to whether it was good or bad as a trade. So we've been talking about that. And you're right, Yamamoto was seemingly, or the way it's perceived, was it was just a bit of a throw-in piece, let's yeah. say. But if if the Marlins end up getting their everyday second baseman, Isan Diaz, and, and you know, he, he reduces the strikeouts, let's say, and and just keeps hitting bombs, then then that's excellent. If they get their center fielder of the future in Monte Harrison or Lewis Brinson, at the moment, looks like Monte Harrison's more likely than Lewis, unfortunately. Um, and also they get a back-end starter out of it. I feel like the Marlins would be content with that and feel like they, in a building period, moved on Yelich, but ended up getting three starters. I feel like that would be okay, right? Yeah, I mean, in, you know, the one thing you that's hard to keep to, to take into account there is would Christian Yelich have become the guy who should have won consecutive MVPs if he hadn't gotten traded? Like, could he have been that guy playing half his games in Marlins Park? I don't know. You know, that, that's, that's an impossible counterfactual. Uh, you're never going to win a trade where you trade Christian Yelich unless you get multiple superstars. Like, it's just, it's so hard. His contract was so good. He was so young. He was so talented. And then he became you know, a super duper star, you know, one of the three best players in baseball that it's just, you kind of, you kind of just have to accept that that one you're gonna, you're, you're hoping for the best. And, you know, that was a trade where they took on 
you know, in Harrison and Brinson in particular, two really, really athletic, toolsy guys who, you know, it turns out Brinson had more work than expected. He actually looked pretty projectable. Um, and, and Harrison still, you know, showed some signs last year, but struggled to, you know, he, he dealt with an injury. Um, there was that weird thing where he tried to bat left-handed. Yeah. That I feel like I never really got a good explanation for. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it was, was uh, yeah, that was bizarre. And, um, so I'm still, I'm sort of bearish on, on Harrison, but there's clearly still talent there. And Diaz, I like a lot. Me too. Me too. I'm excited for Isan this year, for sure. Um, both real life and, and, and fantasy also. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, uh, there's definitely some, he's not someone who's being drafted, uh, in fantasy at all, but you look at. You know, a, a second baseman with 20, 25 homer, 15 stolen base potential. Yeah. That's pretty promising. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, let's let, let's put, hit the pause button on the fantasy side. I, there's mm-hmm. a couple more bits just on, on real-life baseball, let's say, for now. Um, in terms of the current roster, um, who's actually a favorite player right now, Marlins-wise? Um, I'm a big fan of... Pablo Lopez. He's someone who I kind of identified before last season. Excuse me. Uh, he's someone I identified before last season as, you know, has a good curveball, good secondary pitches, gets a lot of ground balls. And I kind of hyped him for fantasy purposes. And I think he was better than the overall numbers indicate you know I, I don't think he's ever going to be an ace but i think mm-hmm. there's the potential for more strikeouts than we saw last year you know only 7.7 per nine but you know i think he could be closer to a league average strikeout guy with good ground ball rate good control and you know it wouldn't surprise me if in the long run he was more like a you know a number three starting pitcher. you know maybe the the kind of guy that you know we had hoped henderson alvarez would be before all the injuries messed him up. that That's the kind of pitcher I could see him being. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said Pablo. He's, uh, if, you, if you've ever listened to this podcast before, uh, you'll, you would have known that he's, he's my guy. The other guys in the podcast have other favorites, but it's always one of them where if, if Pablo's mentioned, then they know my answer, right? They know, yeah, it's <laughs> Pablo. So um, I, I think he's, I just really love watching him pitch. Um, he seems a really talented guy and a real nice guy as well. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you on Pablo. What's your, what's your take briefly on on some of the new guys? Um, um, what I, I suppose Jonathan VR is potentially be the best player uh, theoretically for the Marlins this year, but Corey Dickerson as well, and maybe taking a punt on on Jesus Aguilar. Um, interesting additions, those guys. Yeah, I think they were the kind of moves that a team in the in the situation that the Marlins are in need to make, especially VR, who was a legitimately good player last year. I don't really like I feel like people view him as a guy who just kind of put up empty stats on a bad team, but he was a four win player last yeah. year. He's a you know, he's improved defensively. He's never gonna be a, a an incredible defensive infielder. We'll see how the center field experiment goes. You know, he certainly has the athleticism to play out there. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes in, 
in spring training to see if it sticks. But, you know, he was someone that nobody around baseball really wanted. He was available on waivers, and I thought it was a really smart move. You know, there, there's a probably better than even chance that he doesn't finish the season with the Marlins, but, you know, I, I would expect him to be their best player for the rest of the season. I would, I would think the Marlins might be able to get something – uh, pretty good out of him if uh, if they do end up trading him. Yeah, is is he a free agent after this after this year? I believe he I has. He let me see. Yeah, he is. This is his final year before uh, arbitration or before free agency. This was his final year of arbitration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I guess that makes sense, particularly if he if he carries on delivering what he did in Baltimore. Like you said, I mean that that team was even worse than than the Marlins last yeah. year. You know, we're expecting the Marlins to be to be better again than what they were last year. So, yeah, I mean, if it clicks for him, you're right. The center field thing, for me, the center field thing seems it caught me off guard. I think um, only because he's he's not really played there that often, and there was about twenty outfielders in camp for the Marlins. So I found it a bit odd that after day one they said, "Hey, Jonathan Villar's projected to start center field." I thought, hmm, okay, that's that's an interesting announcement but and he didn't sound that confident about it either when I, I one of Craig Mish's interviews um he he was being a team guy but he wasn't filling me with you know huge confidence that's what he wanted to be doing <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to watch um because that's a move that you see pretty regularly now in in major league baseball you know center field still is a a premium defensive position but you see it around you know the, the Mariners did it with D Gordon a couple of years ago. Um, and it's just because there's so much more, because we have so much more bad at ball data, because we're getting better at, you know, the, the game is getting better at defensive positioning. Teams are more willing to try stuff like this out. You know, you, you look at, you look across baseball and all of a sudden Mike Moustakis is playing second base for a, for a Cincinnati Reds team that is trying to make the playoffs. And, he was playing there for the Brewers last year, so yeah. it's a it's a real interesting time. We're we're kind of upending a lot of the sort of traditional expectations about how defense works, and it wouldn't surprise me given his athleticism if he's you know capable of playing out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, why not? And gets his bat in the lineup every day. There's there's obviously a vacancy, let's say, at center field um, right now. So hey, why not? Um, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how that goes. I I think he'll play most days. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, production should be good. I think. I can't. Yeah, see you know, obviously, I think the best case scenario for the Marlins is probably Jonathan VR playing somewhere in the infield because that means you know that has less to do with Jonathan VR and more to do with hopefully Lewis Brinson. You know, the light finally clicking on for him. But if not him, sometime this season maybe Monte Harrison, you know, can kind of take over in center field and and push VR back to the infield. There's going to be some juggling that'll have to happen. But, you know, the the, the thing about baseball, you know, once I, I've been writing about baseball professionally for this is my ninth season, I believe. And so the thing that you start to realize is plans don't really matter. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to underperform. Someone else is going to overperform. And, you know, that flexibility is actually really helpful there because you know if Jonathan VR can go from playing two positions to four positions 
all of a sudden that gives you a lot more places that you can go with your lineup. Yeah, agreed. Um, what, what are the odds of uh, 2018 Jesus Aguilar uh, re-emerging in, in Miami this year? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> not <laughs> super great. I wasn't really high on him last year. I tend to be really skeptical of the the kind of one-year breakouts when, when I'm doing my fantasy analysis. And so Jesus Aguilar wasn't someone that I was really high on last year. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a buy low. It was basically free. He was another guy that they picked up on waivers, right? Yeah, it was. And I, I think they paid him about 800 grand or something. And... Yeah. And, and he you know, showed some life with the Rays a little later on in the season. You, you would need more than he did there. But... You know, he still hits the ball pretty hard. He doesn't really strike out all that much relative to, to his profile. It wouldn't surprise me if he, you know, put together a season that was comparable to what, like, Justin Bohr used to do before he really started struggling to stay healthy. Um, and that, that can be a useful player in the middle of a lineup. Yeah, good comp, actually. I like that. That's, um, I could see that happening for sure. Um, I think... There's a good chance he could play most days, and sounds yeah. like he's reported to camp, you know, a little bit leaner, let's say, than last year. So that's maybe positive. Um, yeah, we'll see. I I do remember Chris last year in the lead up, you were definitely not buying Jesus Aguilar and repeating it because I was listening to the podcast and trying to weigh up first base options, and I remember you saying, "No, I'm going nowhere near him." Then in the major league that I play in with some some friends here in the UK, I was like, oh, I kind of like him there. I think he'll repeat. And then, of course, it was a, a total flop and the worst pick I made in, in my my entire team and, and that draft. And that, so, And that was the tough thing with him because in, in fantasy, you know, he was going around 100th overall. Yeah. My, my biggest thing is I don't mind buying a guy, you know, like we've talked a lot about Mark Canna, who is actually a former Marlin, so that fits in. Um, we've talked a lot about him on our fantasy baseball podcast and i'm not really sure he's going to repeat what he did for the a's last year but he's going like 270th overall there are drafts when he's not being drafted at all and at that cost yeah definitely buy in on him doing a repeat and so with aguilar it's kind of the same thing for the marlins where it's like if they had bought him coming off the 2018 season that would have been a really big mistake but Mm -hmm. they bought him for basically free see if he can produce a, a 25 to 30 homer season. Again, I think the the ideal outcome for the Marlins is you probably see what you can get for him if he does get off to a good start. And then, you know, they, they might have their, uh, you know, their first baseman of the future, you know, maybe ready to, uh, to make his debut in Lou and Diaz by the, uh, by the mid season. Yeah. I mean, just these names, it just sounds, the infield just sounds awesome moving forward when you've got, you know, Luan Diaz, Isan Diaz, Jazz Chisholm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a lineup of names, just irrespective of talent and ability. Um, awesome. Right. Well, let's um, let's kind of round things off uh, with, with a bit of fantasy talk. I mean, that's your passion um, alongside the Marlins. And, um, you know, absolutely love the work you guys do on the, on the Fantasy Today podcast. Um, Fancy Baseball Today, sorry, podcast. It's it's excellent. So for those who haven't listened, um, I recommend it. You probably already are, so hey-ho. Um, but uh, I've also fired up a, a separate fantasy-only 
podcast. It's called Roto Brits. So, you know, feel free, guys, to, to give that a listen. Um, just from a, when we've got our fantasy hats on now, Chris, we're, well, the first thing I need to ask actually about the crew, um, who, who's the best beer drinker of the guys? My, my assumption is Heath, but maybe not. It's definitely Heath. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's only really a two person competition. Adam, I, I believe Adam had his first beer in several years when he was down in Miami for the, uh, for the Super Bowl. I think Heath had a, uh, a meetup at a brewery with some of the fantasy football listeners. And, and I believe Adam had a beer, but yeah. I don't think that is something that he does pretty regularly. And I, I can't imagine, I, I don't think Scott is uh, much of a beer guy. So Heath and I, Heath and I are the beer guys, but I'll give him the title. <laughs> Who, who's most likely to fall over first? Ooh, uh, between Heath and I, we both yeah. handle it pretty well. That that's an interesting one to uh you know, I, I think I, I think it's less likely one of us falls over and, and more likely maybe we, we, we start fighting each other or something. <laughs> there you go. You either you either collapse or you start fighting. They're the usual yeah. outcomes on the beers, right? Exactly. Yeah, good, good. Um cool. Well listen, let's let's dive into a bit um bit of fantasy stuff just to round it up. So um the main question from with the Marlins hat on is, is actually who's relevant really from, you know, when you're going through your drafts, you know, we're in draft season now or we're about to be, you know, who's actually relevant? Who's going to be draftable within the Marlins current roster going into the season? Jonathan VR is going to be the only guy drafted. I would guess within the top, honestly, it might be within the top 200 uh, for, for 2019, unless I'm, unless there's someone I'm just not thinking of, but, you know, he's going about 50th overall, and then I'm looking at ADP, and yeah, you get to Caleb Smith and Jorge Alfaro around 215, 220. And so, you know, that kind of tells you the, the story of where the Marlins are at. There's, there's actually some decent potential for fantasy here, but it's a lot of guys who are unproven or, you know, in, in the case of the, the pitching staff, you know, there's a lot of guys I like there, but Caleb Smith fell off really hard in the second half. Pablo Lopez wasn't really able to put it together, especially after his injury. And so, you know, for fantasy purposes, it's, it's a team that has, I think, a lot of sleeper appeal. And that's one of the things about baseball. You know, I've, I've written about fantasy football. I've written about fantasy basketball. And baseball is probably the, the sport where, you know, uh, a sort of bad team can have the most value for fantasy because there are guys who just get overlooked and every year guys come out of nowhere or, you know, guys just don't get the credit they deserve. And, and, and a guy for the Marlins who I think that really applies to is John Birdie, who I'm kind of not a hundred percent sure if he's going to play every day and where he might play if he does, but he's got eligibility all over the place. Um, I would guess we're going to see him start probably five times a week. And, you know, based on what we saw last year, there's 25 stolen base potential. And in fantasy, that's really valuable. If, yeah. if all he does is hits 270 and steals 25 bases, he's probably going to be a top 200 player next year. Yeah. 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 What, uh, out of interest, I don't know if you've got the stats in front of you, but um, what did someone like, I don't know, what did Malik Smith do in the end last year? He probably had a little bit more than 25 steals, did he? 
Yeah, he actually led baseball in stolen bases last year. Did he? he? Wow, bloody hell. Yeah, which is shocking because he was sent down to the minors. He was, uh, I believe, a top 100 player last year, and it was almost entirely because of the stolen bases because he, I mean, I think he hit like 220 last year. It it was pretty rough. Um, But that's the thing, that the environment that we're in right now, we've talked about it a lot on our podcast, we've written a lot about it, is, you know, uh, Scott White, my one of my co-hosts, has said that, Stolen bases and aces are the only true currency in fantasy baseball today. Alex Smith was 143rd overall last year while hitting 228 and uh, only getting 510 at bats because, again, he was sent down. So that's the thing is if you can steal bases, that's why Jonathan VR was, you know, I think like a top 15, top 20 player last year. And I'm not expecting him to hit 24 homers again playing in Marlins Park, but you know, if he can hit 15 homers and steal close to 40 to 45 bases, he's going to be a, a a potential league winner in fantasy, where he's yeah. going now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'll I'll ask you after, but my um, <laughs> my bold fantasy prediction. Uh, we've just been recording actually the the shortstop preview on our on our Roto Brits mm-hmm. and my bold prediction is that. Uh, that Jonathan VR ends as a ends a season as a top five fantasy shortstop, and he will be ahead of at least Trey Turner. So Trey, he will be he will finish ahead of Trey Turner. Trey Turner may also be top five in the of the position, but mm-hmm. VR will be ahead of him. That's my that's my bold prediction. Shortstop's a a stacked position, and he was number four last year. You know, he was behind only Alex Bregman, Trevor Story, and Xander Bogarts last year, and I I could see. Uh, Xander Bogart's taking a step back. Obviously, you know Bregman. Who knows with anybody on the Astros what what the impact of of the sign stealing scandal scandal is going to be. Um, but yeah, that that doesn't like he's not being ranked or drafted as a top five shortstop. But it shouldn't surprise anyone if that's the the outcome because it's happened in two out of the last four years for him, and he's going as the number 11 shortstop. I love that value right now. Me too. I'm all over it. And I'm I'm slightly fading Trey Turner. I just, uh, health concerns, he's talking about moving around the lineup, and yeah. maybe he's going down to three or something. That's and, the one that bothers me, is anytime you start yeah. talking about a stolen base guy hitting third in the lineup, that's no where good. it really starts to scare me a little bit. I'm with you. Hey, see, I, uh, we're we're aligned. Our thoughts are aligned. This is this is worrying um, more <laughs> so for you probably than me. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, in, in terms of um, you mentioned earlier that with from a Marlins perspective, how you'd I guess um, where you put the Marlins players right now, they're all in the sleeper column in the main because none of them are being drafted. So who's who's the one most likely to deliver the biggest breakout, let's say, um, if I've indeed phrased that correctly. But you know what I'm saying? Who's of those, uh, pretty much of everyone other than Jonathan VR and maybe John Birdie, who else could maybe rock it right up there with a good season? I, I would say Caleb Smith probably has the best potential. You know, he's the one that we've seen for a, uh, for an extended stretch last year was, you know, I think he was a top 10 starting pitcher for the first couple of months of the season in fantasy. A lot of strikeout potential, gets a lot of swinging strikes. The biggest issue for him 
you know, last year he, he couldn't stay healthy. He had the hip injury that kind of derailed the season, but then also uh, he gives up a lot of fly balls and, and that's always a concern. You know, Marlins park is a good place for that. Although we'll see how Marlins park plays in 2020. Fence is moving in. Um, Yeah. That's actually an interesting thing with fantasy this year is two of the most extreme pitching parks in baseball, Marlins park and Oracle park in San Francisco are moving the fences in, and then the Texas Rangers are getting a new ballpark with different dimensions and a roof. So, you know, it could be a very different environment in 10% of the league. Um, but I think Caleb Smith probably has the the highest upside amongst those Marlins starting pitchers, unless Sandy Alcantara starts getting strikeouts, which, you know, that's he does such a good job of limiting hard contact that if he can just become a slightly above-average strikeout pitcher... You know, I, I could see him being a, a consistent mid three ZRA guy. It's just a question of, um, you know, I don't know what it is about him that he can't get strikeouts. It, it's it's bizarre because the stuff is so good. Uh, you know, maybe he just needs a, a bit more consistency with the breaking balls. Yeah, I agree. That's the only anomaly, I think, with Sandy. In the main, I thought he pitched, or overall, he pitched really well last year um two complete games wrapped into that so you know he pitched well um but you're right it's just the strikeout side is is just not quite there but you're right if he if he kind of gets that up to you know nine nine k's yeah if he could be nine k's per nine i i, I think sandy alcantara has a, a a ton of upside there, there's a lot of potential for him to break out for fantasy as well yeah I, I kind of sit there being a Marlins fan in, in a lot of drafts I'm doing and leagues I've joined. Um, I feel like I'm privileged in many ways because I'm I'm here. I know these players a lot better than than most other kind of more casual fans or fans of, of other teams because, well, why would you spend time watching the Marlins if, if you weren't a fan? So I'm sitting here knowing that these guys are all here ready to explode and potentially become fantasy darlings. Um John Birdie, I think, is a great example of that. I really like, I really, really like Alfaro too. If he yeah. can just piece it together, I feel like it, he could absolutely explode. Yeah, Take I mean, to- he might be the best athlete at the catcher position in baseball right now. When you look at, you know, average sprint speed, he's well above average for a catcher. Uh, he's got an incredible arm. He hits the ball really, really hard. And he's just kind of, he's still trying to figure out how to put all that together and be like a complete baseball player. But that's another guy that if that does happen, you know, if he cuts down on the strikeouts a little bit, if he starts hitting the ball in the air a little bit more, there's huge potential there as well. You know, he, he is a, I'm a little, I'm, I'm not optimistic about that happening because it's just, he's, he's always flashed, but he's never quite done it. And and I kind of have a, a philosophy of not betting on guys, uh, doing something they've never done before. But mm-hmm. in his case, catcher is still, you know, if you're in a two-catcher league, he makes a lot of sense as a second catcher to target. Yeah. Just just on, just on while we're kind of the back end of things now, league format-wise, I'm intrigued to know, what's what's your favorite fantasy league format that you play in? Head-to-head categories. I am, I'm a head-to-head categories guy. I like yeah. the head-to-head format. I like the, the weekly competition, but... I do like that Roto requires you to balance your roster out and figure out ways to 
you know, compete in one thing without taking away from the other. So I, I think that gets you the best combination of both worlds. Yeah, I like it. I actually don't play in a head-to-head categories league, so I need to, I'll need to find one of them. I've, yeah, get in one, man. They're fun. I'm, I'm playing pretty much every other league you can, you can find, but, um, you know, just haven't, haven't got into one of those. There's a few head-to-head points leagues, but you're right, that kind of, you don't end up having a balanced roster. You just, you know, yeah, you're just trying points to wherever you can. Yeah, you don't you don't really care where the points come from, which is going to generally, you know, I guess the one thing you can say is points does reward uh, guys who walk in a way that Roto doesn't. You know, we were talking about that in our first base preview yesterday about how, you know, there there are certain guys like Carlos Santana who's probably been a much better real life hitter than he has been for Roto fantasy for a long time because he's so heavily dependent on walks. And uh, so that's the one thing that head-to-head points has going for it. It reflects real baseball value a little better, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Well, that, that's fair enough. Who's who's the best fantasy player out of your out of your uh, fantasy baseball today crew? Oh, uh, Scott. Is White, it, sure. Is Scott, the main man. Uh, okay. Scott is. Scott's the most. You know, fantasy baseball requires a lot of uh, a lot of time, and Scott is. Uh, is the one most willing to to drill down and, and spend that time, and that's why he's he's always the the most competitive out of our group. <laughs> Good. Are you do you play in the um, Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational? I somehow missed the the invitations this year, and I'm not in it. I was in it the previous two years, and I'm oh, no. I'm kind of bummed that I missed it. I don't know if like you know maybe the invites went out when I was in the process of moving, and I just didn't realize it, but. Yeah, that I'm missing it for the first time. I'm bummed. Oh no! Well, I'm I'm making my debut in that one, so maybe I've taken your spot. I don't know. <laughs> now I know who to blame. <laughs> I think you know, reach out, reach out to Justin. He'd find a spot for you. You know, someone will someone will be dropping out by now. We'll see. All right, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> Good man. Listen, Chris, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's right. it's fascinating to talk Marlins baseball with you, and you know, great, always great to talk to to Marlins fans and. You know, people who follow the team for forever um, and uh, equally really great talking fantasy baseball with you as well. I've, I really enjoyed that as well. And, um, you know, I love, I love the work you guys do. Um, loving, loving the content. It sounds like there's a lot of content still to come this year. So excited for that. And, um, you know, hopefully we can, you know, we can get you back on as the, the season progresses. I'm you know, intrigued to see how both the Marlin season and, and everyone's fantasy seasons uh, progress as well and yeah, you know we'll set something up. good man well that's chris towers appreciate you chris and um we will we will hopefully get you on soon all right take it easy thanks buddy